Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. This is our attempt to speak the gospel out of every corner of scripture. We believe every part of the Bible, Old Testament and New, is about Jesus. And this podcast is our experiment to publicly test that belief. Let's jump in. All right, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are really glad to have you guys here with us today. It's Talk be... about sin. Oh, oh, bummer. Talking about sin. All the sin. All the sin. Because we're in Genesis. We just did Genesis 1 to 2 with creation. And now we're in the infamous or the famous. I don't really know how to use infamous correctly. Infamous is when it's bad. Is it? Yeah. Okay, so I did it right. You did it right. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so the infamous Genesis chapter 3. Where the world falls. Where, the word, where, where Adam and Eve fall. And the world is going under a curse, and the world goes with it. Yeah. But we didn't want to just do an isolated chapter three. We wanted to kind of three, four, four five, five, because it's they're really tied together, and three usually gets treated as its own little thing. And I think it's helpful to watch the after effects of sin, because you kind of see the curses God gives Adam and Eve start to play out. They do. And so we're going to look at it. But we are going to start in chapter three. Chapter three. So... Seth, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Well, there was a serpent who was more crafty than all the other creatures of the forest. Was it a python? I don't know. No, I don't know either. Boa? A boa. Uh, maybe. Why is there a talking animal? Yeah, that's, 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 the the Garden of Eden. that's a good question. It's <laughs> a really good question. I feel like that's the first question <laughs> I actually have I when know. I read this. Is Why is there a talking animal? Yep. So... Uh, is, is my, am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> You're supposed to answer that. <laughs> I can give you opinions that exist out there. Give me the three best opinions. Oh, the three. Okay. Or just the I don't know. I'll one. give you the ones I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, one, people have talked about how this is a the physical form of a divine being, meaning like the accuser, the you know the satan, the satan, ha satan, the satan, um, and so he took up some kind of physical form. Is, is he able to do that? I didn't know. The Bible doesn't tell us he's able to do that, but... Maybe that's him. Maybe that's him. So, that so that's already one. more questions. I know, right? Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Did, the, did Satan already fall before in the good world? Yeah, then there's that whole thing. Okay. But uh, And then there's... Uh, people have talked about possession of animals. <laughs> that, oh. Yeah. I had never thought about that. Right, that, that an animal was possessed to be able to talk. I mean, think about Balaam. Was possessed oh, by the yeah. a, by a good spirit to speak to Balaam. Okay. So animals talking, and we're not. I mean, we're weird, but we're like, oh, that fits in my worldview that God right. can make an animal talk. So if we believe that there are, we talked a little bit about the divine council last week. If we believe that there are all these other lesser Elohim, all these other you know demons, angels, there's this other realm. Is it impossible for one to embody a serpent like God in, in a spirit embodied a, 
a Bal- a, you know, Balaam's donkey? Probably yeah. not. So. I mean, God is walking in the cool of the day. He's obviously imbo- like embodied yep. in some sense. Yep. So those lines are being blurred in this space, which is probably the point that this Eden is not like Earth. It's somewhere in between heaven and earth because God's walking in it and there are spiritual spiritual beings talking. And so that's the third, that's what I've heard is the third option. So I did, I did find three. You found three. Is um, that this is a different plane of existence other than what we know as fallen planet earth. It's planet earth, but it was paradiso. It was the, you know, it was the paradise. And so um, in this kind of planet earth, uh, there was talking animals and you lived with the spirit all the spiritual beings and god was there and it's this very different space than we inhabit now so i don't know which of those is best best. but i think what i hear in all three of those is that the garden of eden is this temple in which god's presence dwells and where spiritual beings dwell where humans who are sons of god dwell right and really the point which is a spiritual being which is a spiritual being term and so it's like it's the point may not be why is Satan talking? It's right. it's like why or why is a snake talking? Right. It's there is conflict. Yes, this like somebody I was reading Karen Swallow Pryor's book. Uh, it's called On Reading Well. Oh yeah, and right. she said that there is no story without a fall. Mm-hmm. And so like I think the point here, regardless of how is he talking, it's like there's conflict right. coming. Right. There's somebody coming, an adversary, yes. someone who hates God. And his intentions, right. and he's going to see if he can subvert God's plans. Yes, lots of lots of biblical writers have gone back and reflected on this story, and none of them are concerned with why there's a snake talking. <laughs> so we spent five minutes on nothing. Yeah. So so there you go. Well, I think it's probably what a lot of people think. You, I, I think it. Right. You think it. So like we should at least talk about it. Yeah, that, yeah. It's a barrier to understand the Book of Genesis. Yes. It's like why is there a talking snake? It doesn't really help us understand this text, but it helps us jump over a hurdle to get into the text for a lot of Again, people. Genesis is not a myth in the sense that it's false, right. but it wants to communicate to us truth about reality. And yes. one of the truths of Christian reality is that Christian reality is embattled between mm-hmm. God, who's all-powerful and omnipotent, and these lesser beings who hate God's will and yeah. God's ways. And we're being introduced to that character mm. in the serpent. Like conflict. Man, that's really helpful, actually, because think about what we talked about last week with Genesis 1 and 2. And we talked about how there's all these other creation myths happening, and the world was always made from a failure of one of the gods, right, 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 or, right. or or some kind of or like a slaying of one of the gods. But here we have there is this lesser Elohim, this other spiritual being, and it's its fault. <laughs> it's, it's like yeah. he's the one responsible for bringing something broken into the world, like, and he takes the form of a created thing, right. So the things that crawl upon the ground, like mm. we've already we've already established that God creates the things that yes. crawl along the ground. Right. Oh, that's right. And so, what is this false? What is this Satan doing? What mm-hmm. is this accuser doing? He uh, taking the form of, of something created. Right. Obviously, lesser than the lesser God that God. created mm-hmm. all things. Yeah. God's putting all things under His feet. So, if there yep. is a temptation in the world, if there is evil coming towards you, it isn't from God. Right. James tells us that. Yep. It is from a create something within the created mm, order. Yeah. That's helpful. That is helpful. Yeah. That it's helpful for me even thinking through. Right. And so we have this serpent and um you you kind of started it all off. The serpent was more crafty than uh than all the other creatures that the Lord God had made. Is that what it says? Any other beast of the field beast that the of Lord the field. God had made. Um so that word crafty sets up the genre and the tone for what we're about to encounter. Um this word crafty is kind of sneaky snake yeah well you see even there like 
we have this like pejorative negative connotation to this word when actually it's used all throughout the Old Testament in really positive ways to reference wisdom. Oh. And so it's not a negative term. So it, but like, it was the wisest. Yeah, it was very wise. And like it used its wisdom in crafty ways, but we don't like, we need to understand that what the author of Genesis is setting up here for us is a wisdom narrative. And we know that because right after this, where, where is Eve going to talk to this thing? At the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She's on a quest for wisdom. She's on a quest for knowledge. What? Yeah. And it's so, just like, I'm like already thinking like there's a wisdom of the world. There's a wisdom of God. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Yeah. Is, is Eve really fearing the Lord in this moment? No. No, she is not. I haven't, I haven't thought about this as the genre of wisdom. Yes. Yeah. And so um, so she comes and, and what's the topic? Knowledge and wisdom. Like, what do you know? Oh. Right? And so so she's like, uh, let's see, where's the where's the conversation start? What Did, verse? It's verse one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're right. <laughs> I would like to turn the page. Did God actually say you right. shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So she's right, right away, the serpent is questioning the information that Eve has received from Yahweh. Like, yes. all, right out the gate. And what's, it's, uh, it's already a lie. Right. It's yes. like, it's not even, so like, God didn't say. No, he didn't say you can't eat from any, any tree. You can't eat from one tree. Yeah. So like, he's snuck in a lie <laughs> in his questioning of God. He's wise. He's crafty. He's a smart dude. Yeah. And, uh, and so Eve catches it, thank goodness, right? And she says, no, 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 we may eat uh, of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now she adds something in there, doesn't she? She does. Because God never said, don't touch it. Right. He said, don't eat from it. You'll, if you eat from it, you'll die. Right. But not if you don't touch right. it. So she's kind of, what, what, what I've heard authors talk about, commentators talk about, is that she is communicating like an angst here. That she's like, man, we can't eat it. We can't even touch it. Like it's kind of, she's escalating the command. That it's, uh, the command is yeah. more burdensome than it actually was. That it was a bigger deal than God actually intended. And she's frustrated it to be. And by. She's frustrated by it. Oh, I wouldn't. Well, I mean, because because think about I it. I would. I kind of read it the other way. I was. Mm. I was thinking like um, Eve, recognizing all the good things that God has given her, right. wants to keep away from the thing that God said. So like, okay, we're not even going to touch the tree. Oh, right. We're not even going to look at it. Yep. So it's like, and when she, the Satan Satan talks to her, he's like, no, we don't can't eat from it, and so we don't even touch it. And he said, don't touch it. And they just assumed their rule was God's rules, too. Right. That's what I always The legalistic it. version. The legalistic yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I would probably, by the way the conversation spirals, I would feel like with just one more nudge from the serpent, she's over the edge and eaten the fruit. I feel like it's probably the one where she's frustrated. Because I also we also not told how many conversations she's had with this serpent before, because it kind of picks up mid-conversation. And oh, so, like, that's yeah. a literary tool to show us that this is not the beginning of the conversation. Maybe this is a st- sustained dialogue right. over yeah. days. Which is like what, uh, have you read Paralandra? I have. Yes. C.S. Lewis's oh, Space Trilogy. So good. It's just day after day after day of this demon torturing and tempting and, like, chipping away at the wisdom of this new Eve on Venus. <laughs> and like, It's a great book. It's a great book. Go read it. <laughs> it may sound crazy, but it's so good. It's real good. So yeah, we don't know. Uh, I think that's what Lewis's point was there, was that it probably was this long, sustained argument. I mean, why was she even at the tree to begin with? You know, like, it's like, well, we're not even supposed to touch it. If she was like, I'm just going to stay away from it, if that's what she meant, why was she there talking to the to the serpent? <laughs> like, if she was this legalist. Already I'm thinking, like, how much more pastorally helpful that is. <laughs> the 
the devil's not going to come to you and say, God's a liar. You ready to you ready to battle? It's right. probably going to be the slow, sustained yep. dripping yeah. over years yes. of eroding your trust in God and his wisdom and his word. Yep. It will finally lead you to do something. People don't become adulterers overnight. Right. It's takes years. It takes years. Yeah. And so we don't know how long this took. And so um, so Eve kind of catches his lie, but adds on this extra burdensome command that they can't touch it. And then the serpent says to the woman, you won't die. And so now he's questioning another part of God's word. And he says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. That's a wisdom word, right? You're going to see things as they really are. And yeah. you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So like, there's the, there's the temptation. Do you want to be like God? Do you want to be like God? <laughs> Do you want to know good and evil? Yep. I even heard it said like defining good and evil for ourselves. I've heard that too. I think... I, I here's my here's my opinion on it. I think that Eve was mostly well intentioned here. I think that um, they were in this covenant relationship. She's angsty God. and well intentioned. So yeah, I'll get there. So she she's mostly well intentioned. She is wanting to obey God better, and and so they're in this relationship covenant with God in the garden. And God said, "Do these things. Don't do this one thing, and it'll go well with you. You'll live in this garden. You'll you'll tend it. It'll cover the face of the earth." And Eve wants to know what, like, but that's all they know, right? That's the only word that they've been given. And Eve wants to know more. And she wants to know good and evil. Why would you want to know good and evil? Well, if you're in this relationship with God and he's walking around in the cool of the day, maybe you want to obey him better and avoid the things that he hates more. Like maybe that was her goal was, oh, if I know the mind of God and could actually obey him fully and stay away from the things that he hates fully, then the blessing will be mine to the fullest. I'll be like God. And I can earn it myself. Like I can, I can line it all up, figure it all out, and get it done. And so, that's uh, interesting. That, I think that's that's how I think that's how Selhammer has talked about it. Um, interesting. And but I, regardless, I yep. what I think's most fascinating about this is God never gives us a reason why. No, it kind of is for the tree. Like, and I think that's part of the yep. mystery of the of the fall narrative is Definitely. that we're never told why we're not supposed to eat of the tree. Just that we're not supposed to. And really, it's an exercise in trust. Yes. Will you trust God at his word? Right. When he says don't do it, will you trust him enough not to do it, even if it looks good? Right. Because I mean, the next verse is, so the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it's like, well, what's wrong here? Right. This tree is looks like all the other ones. It seems as if it will give me something I don't already have. Why shouldn't I pursue it? Mm -hmm. And the only command we were told is just don't do it. Right. And so already I'm like, there's so many laws within scripture, so many commands that I've like in my own life that I know that I just have to trust mm. that are better for me. Right. Don't obsess about what other people have. <laughs> like don't be envious. Right. Just don't do it. Yeah. Why? Because he didn't say. He doesn't yeah, say just, right. just don't do it. Don't have sex with anybody except your spouse. Why? Because that's the way God designed the world. Right. God designed the world not to eat this tree. And to only have sex with your wife. Right. And, and it, do it. it bears out, doesn't it? Like whenever you covet, what happens? You end up like torturing yourself and feeling discontent and running after things that ultimately don't satisfy. Whenever you cheat on your wife, your family uh, dissolves and deteriorates and things break apart and you lose everything you have. Like yeah. it, it's woven in the fabric. Of the, we, we can see the, the reasons, even, even if they're not given. They're not given. That's right. right. You can see the reasons. Because we're like, about to see some of the reasons here. The, the, everything goes to pot right. very quickly. <laughs> yes. But I think part of it's like, I think 
for Christians and for all people, at the end of the day, the Lord said something and you're going to have to just obey. Yeah. And like, that's the central tension, I think, of the fall narrative is God said something and he doesn't give it a reason. And do you trust him? Mm. Will you trust the God who's given you everything yeah. to be good in the commands that he's given you, even if you don't have a reason? I think it's also what we see here is the reason. I think he does give us some kind of a reason, okay. not not, but but he doesn't give us a reason not to eat it, right? Like what you're saying. Right, I, th- right. I, I think I agree with that. He says, "Don't eat that tree. Enjoy everything else I've given you. Right? Yeah. I've given you every tree, so go enjoy those. Not that one, but right. everything else. And so Eve is going. I have everything at my disposal." And it's all so good, but is God holding out on me? Right. Right. That's always like, yeah. God is a joy, killjoy. Yes, exactly. God is withholding. Right. That's always, that's the sin of the fall is yep. believing that God's withholding. That's right. Oh, so there's a, there's something better maybe? Like maybe if I did have sex with a woman who's not my wife, I would finally find contentment. Yeah. Oh, hmm. <laughs> right. Like, maybe if I did get drunk. Right. That would actually help me feel, have more fun on the weekend. Right. Like. Oh, maybe there's something that God told me not to do that's actually preventing me from experiencing more joy. He's holding out on me. He's withholding. He's holding out on me. Yep. I feel like that automatically humanizes the fall narrative. Exactly. Because it's like we're talking about talking snakes and, and trees, magic fruit, and I'm like, what <laughs> on earth am I reading? Right. But as soon as you say, um, "Do you trust God when He says not to do something and when He doesn't give you a reason?" Right. I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think. That's what your uh, yep. wisdom literature you're supposed to meditate on. That's right. Think about, place yourself in the middle of. I'm like, are there laws in which right now that I'm thinking that God may be holding out on me some greater joy or greater pleasure just because he wants to and he's that kind of God? Mm-hmm. Is there a doubt in my mind that God is good to me and I could receive more if I try to grab it by my own power or my own effort or my own deciding what exactly. to do in and this that's, moment? And that's the sin. That's where that's what sin is, is is God provides the good, right? Right. All good comes from God. And so sin is the attempt to get that good apart from God. That like, I want satisfaction. Well, God has provided a means in his grace for me to be satisfied through a multiplicity of things that he allows and like commands me to enjoy. Yeah. But there's this one thing, like let's say, right, sexual adultery. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, but really if I want satisfaction with that thing. And so when I go beyond the bounds of what God has provided to provide good for myself, that's me trying to be God. Yeah. Because God isn't, I mean, that's what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. What is God doing? He's making things that are good, right? He makes stuff, it's good. He makes stuff, it's good. And then uh, Eve wants something good for herself. Like She's trying to make something good for herself. She's trying to repeat what God did in Genesis 1 and 2 here at the tree. I was just thinking of Isaiah. Mm-hmm. In Isaiah 50, he says, Woe to those who call evil good mm. and good evil. Yeah. And that theme is picked up throughout the Bible. Yep. This idea that whatever society you're in will decide to call the things that are good evil and the sign of the evil good. I think that goes back to like defining good and evil for ourselves a little bit to right. a certain extent. But that is like the underlying motivation, calling things that God has said are not good for us actually what will give us best right, joy. Right, right, I see what you're saying. And, yep. and the things that God has already provided us aren't, aren't good at, enough. Aren't really that good. Aren't really that right. good. Yes, so I like the, that. The tension yeah. in the Christian life is, will you trust the things that God has already given you, mm-hmm. or will you trust what you can purchase for yourself? So when confronted with that choice to what either trust what God has already provided 
or think that God is withholding on them. Mm-hmm. They choose to believe God is withholding and they eat the fruit in hoping to gain the knowledge of good and evil. Right. And all, and all of a sudden, they get what they thought they wanted. Right. Their eyes were or opened. opened. Yeah. But they're open to something. <laughs> they don't like what they see. They don't like <laughs> what they see. And they knew they were naked. Yep. That's and, the first Which was thing. shame. And like the idea of nakedness in Hebrew conveys this idea of shame, uh, which is really interesting that a, a word would get tied up into a story. Yeah. Like, anyway, we can go, uh, I yeah, don't yeah, want to yeah. go into that. But yeah, they, they were ashamed. They were and ashamed. we hear that later. And they, they were tried to their nakedness. cover their shame. That's right. By clothing themselves. Yep. And uh, then, and then, they hear the footsteps of God. Oh no, which <laughs> which which used to be sweet music. To walking their ears. in the cool of the day, That's right. casually chatting with God. It was the best part of the day. And now it's just that ominous footfall in the horror movie. Yes, and the floorboards creaking. Yes, <laughs> like God is coming. And they do what everyone does in the horror movies: they hide in the closet. They, hide in the closet. <laughs> they go find some bushes. They hide themselves from the presence of God. And the Lord called them and he said, where are you? Mm-hmm. And that's going to become important when we talk about Cain and Abel in a second. Right. But where are you? Yep. And their response is to come out ashamed and start making excuses for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. They, uh, you know, Adam just starts hurling different excuses. Um, he, he like blames his wife. He's like, oh, this woman you gave me, it was her fault. She gave it to me and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And the woman's like, no, it's the snake's fault. Right. Everyone's yeah. deflecting and trying to pass blame. Um, and then, um, at the end of chapter three, we get this. And how classic. Oh, classic. How classic of sin to say, we keep talking about this hypothetical adulterous husband Mm, who, um, sleeps with somebody, not his wife. Oh yeah. And what's the first thing he does? Well, it's my fault. My wife wasn't loving enough to me. That's right. She wasn't sexually available to me. That's right. She wasn't. Her libido wasn't. She wasn't as kind of, she didn't respect me. Right. It's no wonder I fell into the hands of the of whoever. Right. It's no wonder that I wanted this. Yep. It's not it's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault. Right. And the wife responds with, "Well, my husband was emotionally distant. Yes. It's his fault. Yep. If he was, you know, if and then or the fault. Well, my my father just loved me. Right. Or and man, our I, children just demand too much of our attention. Right. We just can't. Like it's yeah, always. It's shifting. the same. It's the same story yep. played out in every situation when somebody chooses sin over what God has already provided, yep. that same deflection will always happen. Yeah, and we also see three core emotions that I think constantly are that are a result of sin. We see fear, right? They, they, they were afraid, so they jumped in the bush. We see, um, we see guilt. They knew they were guilty, so they're deflecting that guilt to others. And then they, it says that they were ashamed. So guilt, shame, and fear, I think, are constantly a part of our um, experience with sin. So I bring yeah. that up just to say, like, like let's have a felt needs moment yeah. and let's go like, don't you feel fear, fear guilt <laughs> yeah. and shame in your life? Like, yeah. like when you sin, that's what Jesus is answering. Like that's the yeah. core felt need when you're jumping in be- behind the bushes, you're deflecting your uh, blame. You, you're trying to cover up your shame. This is the situation that Jesus is coming to heal. And I just think that's yeah. good news to take a second and just like say that. And I think what's fascinating here, I think I want to just drill down. Yeah. So in that moment, we when we fear fear, shame, and guilt, God's first response is to drill down on it mm. and provide the curse. Mm. He curses those feelings. And he says, that's right. You should feel that way. And here's what's going to happen because of what you've done. Because mm. the first thing he does is then say, it's going to be okay. Be I forgive you. He right. says, let me curse you. Wow. That's the first thing that happens. And actually, but even there, there's a little bit of mercy because he actually curses the snake first. Yes. 
He curses the one who started the temptation, right. which will actually play out later in the Bible where yep. he says, cursed are you teachers who would dare uh, lead astray one of these little ones. Oh, right. A millstone be cast around your neck and thrown into the bottom of the ocean. Like yeah. Some of the harshest words God has are for those who teach deception. Mm-hmm. And you actually see that on wow. page two of the Bible, wow. which I think is interesting. I didn't think about that until this moment. Oh, did you not really? No, that's, yeah, I've like, never <laughs> thought of that. Yeah, that's that. But I think that's really spot but so on. So he 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 curses. Yeah. yeah, emasculate the Judaizers. Like that's right. the consistently the teachers mm-hmm. of deception are always the ones who receive the harshest condemnation. Right. That's true here in the first pages of the Bible. Mm. He curses a snake, and then he curses people. Yep. And he starts, what, is it man first or woman first? He kind of, the... Uh, Do they blend together? They blend together in the first one. Oh, there's a, yeah, in 16, to the woman, he said. But in 15, he said, uh-huh. I'll put, oh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, in 16. He's, he's still kind of talking to the snake here, yeah. right? I will put, which is, this is probably the most important verse in the Old Testament. Well, let's come back to it. <laughs> okay, so let's let's get Well, the, actually, no, it's not. Let's not. Because think about that. <laughs> I, I, I'm wrong. I said the first thing he does is curse the people, but he doesn't. He curses the snake and then offers hope. Oh, in verse 15, right. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, the snake's offspring, yep. and her offspring. The woman's offspring. The yep. woman's offspring. And he, the woman's son, son, the promised seed, will bruise the head of the serpent, and you, the serpent's seed, will only bruise his heel. Right. So that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of guilt, shame, and fear, the first thing God does is he curses, curses the- sin and its source. Curses the source of sin, right? And then promises hope mm-hmm. for how he's going to defeat sin, and even do so through those who sinned. Yeah, it's through Eve's children. Yes, that or child. It's singular, right? Yeah, that that he's going to bring this hope. Yeah, that is and amazing. Only then, after offering the hope, hope, right? Does he curse Adam and Eve? Right, I because we would d- we would utterly despair if it was curse no hope. Right. Or even like if we had to hear the hope after the curse. We'd be like, right. how am I going to get through this if it wasn't for the hope? Yeah. And so this hope, let's let's talk about this because this is um, the, the, the $12 word. I was going to say $10. It's, it's worth 12. a little bit more. Because it's in Latin. It's because, I don't, I don't know. The, is that the Proto-Euangelion? Proto-Euangelion. Yep. The, the first gospel is, the, is, is what this is. This is what the Proto nerds. first Euangelion. Evangelion gospel. Gospel. And so this is the first gospel. It's the first time the gospel is explicitly promised in scripture that one of Eve's offspring, which... 14 verses. What? Oh, Four, 14 verses. It only takes 14, yeah, 14 verses, verses for the gospel to show up. In chapter 3. In chapter 3. But I mean, the first two, it's all good news. <laughs> oh, The right, world right, is good. Right. The world is good. Yep. We're enjoying God's presence. Everything's amazing. Fall happens in seven verses. Yeah, it's like curse. It's like it's and then like four verses or something. <laughs> it takes four verses. Fall and promise. It's like it's so good. It's so like good. it's so anyway. Yeah. I just and like. so so he promises that um, that the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, their descendants, are not going to coincide. He's going to separate them, put enmity between them. So not only are they going to be separated, they're going to be enemies. And so um, the seed of the serpent are going to be the children of sin. And we're going to meet them really soon in the, in the Genesis narrative. But then there's also going to be this sustained single line from Eve. And this is going to be the line from which this person will come, this ultimate descendant will come, who will crush the head of the snake. Yeah. And who will, um, at the cost of having his heel bruised. Yeah. And who will defeat sin and restore all that was just broken. Think about Adam and Eve in that moment. We're naked, we're ashamed, we're hiding from God. God, where are you? Mm-hmm. They respond like, 
deflecting. Like, I don't know. It was her fault. It was her yeah. fault. It was her fault. The snake told me to do it, and then God just stops. He says, okay, I'm going to curse the snake, right. and I'm going to give you hope. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then, could you imagine, I, if I was Adam, and I said I am, I would be like, Am I getting away with this? Right. Oh my goodness. Is yeah. this like it's like is nothing bad did, gonna did it, happen? Did my deflection work? My my son is gonna come, he's gonna he's gonna destroy the thing that just convinced yeah. my wife who convinced me. Like, is it all gonna be over? Oh wow. And it, then Yeah, if you if you didn't just know the end of the story, <laughs> you'd be like, Oh, it was, it was the snake's fault. And then it's like, Okay, great, I'm cursing the snake, and one of your offspring is gonna kill the snake. Oh, we did it! We did it! <laughs> we got out of sin. <laughs> and then God's like well, no. To the woman. To the said. woman, he says, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Yeah, and then to Adam, he um, says that the ground will be cursed because of you. Right. And I think what he's getting at here is the thing that defines womanhood mm-hmm. is be, the, well, the, be, the ability to reproduce. Well, and it was be fruitful and multiply was right. the command given. To it was supposed to be this good oh, thing. Yeah. And he's like, that's going to be hard. That good thing is still going to happen, but it's going to be even harder. That's better to understand because right. I've heard it's talked about like the like reproduction is kind of the center oh, of being a woman, yeah. working is kind of the center of a man. It's probably an anachronistic reading of gender roles into Genesis. Potentially, yeah, You're probably right. So I think that's better. Right, be fruitful and multiply. Yep. Was they this both good ha- had they ha- the command mm-hmm. to do so: one through childbearing and yep. one through working, working and tilling and tilling the ground. Yep. And both of that command, the command to be fruitful and multiply, is crippled. Yes, right under the sin yep. uh, that they, they, they committed. Yep. So you're not going to be able to do the thing now that I wanted you to do. And even you're going to toil in it. This thing that should have brought you joy to live in this covenant where you're fruitful and multiplying, you're tilling the land and working it is now going to be toilsome for you. The blessing has become the curse. And the thing from which you became alive, dust, is the mm. thing to which you will, you will return. return. Yeah, like absolutely. You... And the dominion thing gets, gets thwarted too. He's like, you'll have dominion over all the beasts of the land and all the fish of the sea, right? Mm-hmm. But now something breaks and now man has dominion over his wife. That wasn't yeah. that wasn't before the fall. This was this is after. He's like, oh part of the curse is man ruling over woman. There's so there's this like power dynamics. So yep, like exactly. automatically entered in. Like you're gonna have dysfunction in your relationship with you're gonna have dysfunction in your relationship to the earth. Yep. You're gonna have dysfunction in your relationship to yourself as a childbearer. Right. You have dysfunction in relationship to your work. You have dysfunction related to uh, to you as humans and married beings. Right. Nothing in the world is gonna work like it was supposed to. Is is gonna work like it was supposed That's to. Right. This is a really profound moment in the Bible. Mm, yes. Yeah. So like we you we you should feel how heavy this is. Right. This will affect every story. Every, every story. That you hear after this. Yes. Every story you hear after this will repeat the same narrative. Mm-hmm. God is withholding from me. Mm. I can get what I want if I do it myself. Right. And what's going to happen? Dysfunction in families, dysfunction between married people, dysfunction between fathers and sons, mm-hmm. dysfunction in nations, dysfunction between how I relate to politics, yep. how I relate to the world, how I relate to the ground. Everything repeats the same pattern over and over and over and over again. God's withholding. Let me grab that land. Let me grab that woman, mm-hmm. David mm-hmm. of Bathsheba. Let me right. grab something that God has not already given me. Yep. And what happens? The same thing. More curse. Yep. More pain, more suffering. Yep. Even like, so like, they're about to be kicked out of the garden. Right. Israel continues to grab after idols and gods that were not theirs. Yep. And what happens? They get kicked out of the promised land. That's right. Into exile. Yep. The story of the fall is repeated everywhere. That's right. It is the entire story of the Bible 
already said in the first three chapters. Yes. This repeats every single time. That's absolutely right. And that's kind of the whole point is that we can't break that cycle. Like we, we are constantly going to repeat this. I think I've, I've, I've heard people say like, man, well, if I was in Eden, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. You know, it's like, you, really? you had that opportunity in your life. Yeah, you've already made you've already made those choices. <laughs> right, you've already made the cho- you've already probably decided at some point in time God wasn't giving you the best that he could. Right. And that'd be better if you tried to get something that God hasn't given you. Right. You probably made that decision. You probably made the decision. So like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have Satan whispering in your ear either in one conversation over the course of Hundreds. Actually, you do. Yeah, you do. You yes, do have you definitely that. do. You just don't have them physically in, in front of you as a magical snake. Which is probably harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because now it's just your own internal dialogue, exactly. which feels really natural. It does. It doesn't feel like an enemy on the outside of you. It's easy to justify. It's like, yeah. Okay, yeah. And so they uh, they receive this curse, um, but there is kind of this bookend of hope. Yeah. Um, we had this hope of um, Genesis 3.15 of the seed of the woman, and then now... Uh, God kind of takes a look at their shoddily made leaf clothes and is like, uh, let's do something different. And he he kills an animal. It's yeah. the first instance of death in the Bible. It's other not the than... first instance of bloodshed. Oh. Because he cuts Adam. Oh, I guess so. I think I've always, I guess that makes sense. So the first time blood is spilled. I think I've always so viewed far... it like as like some kind right. of magical <laughs> god's hand enters into his ribs like a and just like pulls it out yeah. like a ghost i think that's what all of my bible story videos think, showed me in I sunday think, school <laughs> no no i think the first time blood is shed is when god co- cuts open adam mm. and removes his rib and it's a symbol that god will purchase his bride by the blood of adam mm. and so what does god do what are we told in ephesians 5 that christ dies for his bride the church mm-hmm. how does he create husband like how does he bring the church into his heavenly home through the death of the new Adam? Right. So I think we see the gospel actually when Adam is cut, wow. cut open back cool. in. So we didn't talk about that last yeah. time. But. And so we do have more bloodshed here then. Yeah. Um, I guess for the first death, but not the first, first bloodshed. Yeah, first And first so death. God kills an animal and makes clothing, proper clothing for Adam yeah. and Eve. He covers their shame. And covers their shame with, through bloodshed and death. Yeah. Which now if you kind of take all this together... Um, there's this promised seed who's coming from Eve's line. I think it's Luke that starts with Eve or Adam and Eve, right? In yeah. his in his genealogy, mm-hmm. and and he traces it down. And this promised seed, he says, is none other than Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Right? He's the new Adam, the the son of Eve, who ends up uh, crushing the head of sin by, by by taking the full brunt of it on the he cross. He dies on the cross, right? Sheds his blood. His his heels only bruised because he resurrects from the dead. That's right. Yeah, but it looks Satan, like a little bit more than a heel yeah, to begin with. But yep. Satan is destroyed, and yes. we are given new robes. New robes to cover our shame. To cover our shame. Yeah, because of the blood of Christ that shed over us. Yeah, amazing. That's that's amazing. So Adam and Eve, yep, sinned, been given promise, been clothed, and Eve has just been promised that your descendant, yeah will be this new figure that will crush the serpent yes. that just that just deceived you. Great. So I think for Eve, she's assuming that the next child of course is the promised one. Yes. And Let's even get as pregnant. As, as, even as readers, we're like, okay. Right. If we only had the book of Genesis, we would expect at this point in the story yes. a new child would be born and in forty years from now he would grow up and he would crush the head of the serpent in some gonna, big yeah, battle. He's gonna go back into the garden or something right. and right. just own it. And we have that story in like all of our fairy tales. Right. It's like, you know, the princess goes into exile because yep. of the wicked witch but she bears a son who will come 
come back one day and defeat yep. the old hag. Like right. that, that, yes. that's in our imagination. Absolutely. So I think that's what we're expecting. We're expecting. Yeah, and then and then what's the first verse? Now Adam and Eve, or now Adam knew his Eve wife. his wife, which means they they had sex, and she conceived and bore Cain. We did it. We did it. This is it. <laughs> this is it. I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Yes. So I think I think she like she yeah. says oh like, definitely I've like I've had a son. It happened. This, a this he, was the promise. A he was promised by the help of the Lord, and again she bore another son, and so she had two sons. And and so what we need to see here then is we need to see the the, the promise that God just made was that there would be two different seeds. There would be the seed of the serpent, and there would be the seed of Eve. So, and he would put enmity between them. They, they would be enemies of each other. One would bring the promise, and one would continue doing the things that the serpent did. Continue to draw people into sin, continue to, uh, to, to disobey God, continue to grab things that aren't his. And so we're like, we're looking at Cain and Abel. That's why they're put right next to each other. Son, yeah. son. Which one, which one is it? Which one's which, one the, which one's Eve's and which one's the Satan? Which one's, which one's the serpent? And Eve's mind is probably well. Both of them are great kids. Yeah, like my sons, <laughs> my sons will crush it. But there was one. Yep. And we should just note here, this story of Cain is only like eight verses long. Right. Yep. But it's packed full of oh meaning. Oh my gosh! Yes. And w- you are meant to try to figure out what is going on in this story. Right. We're not. We're about to. So Cain is a tender of sheep. Abel. Is the other way around. Other way around. Yep. Cain is a farmer, right. and Abel is a shepherd. Yes, and they go and offer sacrifices to God, mm-hmm. and God accepts Cain, uh, Abel's, Abel's, but not Cain's. Right, and we're not told why. Right, and that tension of not being told why is what the whole story's about. <laughs> yeah, and so a lot of times we want to solve it. Well, right. why? Well, why? Why? Why didn't God? Well, it was because God likes God likes fat offerings and not grain. Right, but there's no, all these there's all these grain offerings. There's all these so grain that, can, offerings. that can't be it. That can't be it. Is this something about Cain's motives? We're not told right. anything about Cain's motives. Yeah, we're told a little bit later about apparently he has something going on with sin and he could offer an acceptable sacrifice, but he's not. Is it that God hates Cain? Right. Or is, yeah, or if you want to get really controversial, is it because Cain is the the seed of the serpent? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like I can't accept this sacrifice. I won't. I refuse it. Oh. Yeah. Anyway. So <laughs> I think what you're supposed to do when you read this story is you're supposed to think of those things and hold them in your mind and see which one plays out oh, in yeah. this story. Right. It's like you don't know why. Yep. And it's you're not only told why. And you're not told why. Yep. And you're not supposed to. And I think and there's a genre of literature at work. We talked about wisdom literature. That's right. This is supposed to be meditated on. That's right. You're supposed to mull over it. And what we're reading here is eventually a retelling of the fall narrative. This is the, re- mm-hmm. this is the fall happening again. As we said, the whole story of the Bible is the story of the fall happening over and over again. That's right. And this is the first recapitulation, mm-hmm. the first retelling. So we're supposed to see the fall again here, and we're supposed to try to figure out how that happens. Right. So how do we? How do you see the fall being continued here then in this story of Cain and Abel versus the story of Adam and Eve? Well, apparently since the time Adam and Eve were born, um, Cain and Abel were born. Oh, yes. <laughs> there's sacrifices being offered to God. Right. And God has certain expectations of what those sacrifices should or shouldn't be. And we don't know that. Right. We just know that, that that's what's happening. Yes. And when Cain and Abel bring their sacrifices to God, God says, I like this one and I don't like this one. Mm-hmm. Offer me this one and not that one. Which is essentially the same choice that he gave Adam and Eve in the garden with the tree. Eat from these trees and not that tree. Right. Why? why? <laughs> well, we don't know, actually. Right. We don't know why God accepted one and not the other. But, right. But God says, Cain, will you trust me and bring me a different offering? Right. And he tells Cain, don't you know that... 
Yeah. Like, if you do good. If you do good, right. like there's like there's a you can you can do good. Or if <laughs> like, you do well, if you if you do not, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Right. He's like, right. don't you know that if you just obey my commands, right. I will accept you. Yes. There is somebody out there, this serpent, who will try to devour you and bring you yes. into his way. Don't do that. Don't you know if you just obey, you'll be accepted? Yeah. So I think it's the same. It's the same thing. Don't you know that if you just give me the sacrifice that I want, you'll be accepted? Mm. I don't, you don't, I'm not giving you a reason why, but will you trust me? And what does Cain do? He just <laughs> like his mother, doesn't trust the Lord. No, not at all. He succumbs to the crouching sin monster. Yes, and like <laughs> he repeats, and this time, yeah, this time he he does he does the opposite of the the promise. I mean the the fall yes. escalates. Right, the, the fall, fall escalates. escalates here. So we're what? expecting that uh, Abel, the one who God loves and accepts his offering, should somehow triumph over Cain, the one who has sin crouching behind him and like right. and has his offering rejected. But instead, the, the opposite fall. happens, and the it gets worse. It gets worse. The 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 the, the oh. one who who God doesn't accept his offering ends up crushing the head of Abel. The promised, what we thought was going to be the promised seed. Something that would have been unconscionable in the garden. Right. Happens. Happens. It's not the sin isn't losing power. It's gaining momentum. It's gaining. The the sin monster, the sin crouching at the door is gaining. Right. Like we had. Influence. We had a, we had a, we had a a bite of a fruit in the, in in the garden of Eden. Now there's murder between brother and brother. This is getting worse at an exponential rate. And the same question comes from the Lord. Where are you? Where's where your is, brother Abel? Where's your brother Abel? Where? It's the same one. Yep. It's the same question that God asked Adam and Eve. Is asked right here. It's a it's a fall narrative. Yep. On a much with much graver right. consequences. And then what almost. happens? He ends up kicking him out of this proximity to the garden because we we we're we're to, we're to see that uh, there was this garden right, and they're kicked out of it, and God puts a cherubim with a flaming sword in front of the gate to it. And then they're just kind of camped out right there. And a lot of biblical scholars believe that when they brought their offerings to Yahweh, Cain and Abel, right. they brought it to the gate of the Garden of Eden. They're trying to get back in, and uh, yeah. and it's not working. And so Cain disobeys, and what happens? He is sent farther east of Eden. Mm. He is he is moved farther away from the presence of the Lord. His 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 exile is extenuated. Uh, even worse. If you, like, read through yeah. the, if you read through Genesis, Genesis. you'll see to yep. the east yep. always means further away from That's God. That's right. To and the so east, they end the up east, at the end the of east. Genesis, you're, we're in Egypt, as far away as we could possibly be in the known world from where the Garden of Eden was. Like We're constantly repeating this fall narrative and moving away from God's So God presence. curses Cain. Yep. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on this earth. Yep. And then Cain responds, but God still gives Cain grace. Which is crazy. Some, some weird bit of protection he gives. Yeah, him. my punishment is greater than I can bear. Cain right. says, and then uh, God responds by saying, um, "No, nobody's going to kill you. I'm going to protect you. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold." Mm-hmm. And then the Lord puts a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So this right. protective mark. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that means, yes. but some way that Cain was protected. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know either. God liked this guy still a little, a little bit, maybe. I, don't I know. wonder if like there's this this like, there's always like those. There's two sons often in biblical yep. stories. Oh yes. 
And it's not that God always just rejects the other son out of hand, no. like Isaac and Ishmael. Or Jacob and Esau. Like he protects yep. Ishmael yes, and he Hagar. Does in the wilderness. Yep. Like, like there's a sense that God loves all his people, yep. even when they're yep. even, evil. Even Esau, he, he, he preserves the land of Edom for him. And when Israel in the book of Numbers comes and tries to like take it or go through it, God says, uh-uh, you're not going through the land of Edom because that belongs to Esau and his descendants. Yes. I've marked it out for him. And so, so, right. so the first time we see it, though, it's kind of disorienting. Like, wait, wait, God, he just killed his brother, right. and God's going to protect him? Yeah, that's weird. Well, maybe it's because there, who else is who else is going to come? Who? What other descendant could there possibly be to crush the serpent? Oh, right. So maybe, oh. like, as a reader, you're thinking, well, maybe this will be it. And what's the next verse? Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Maybe, maybe this will be the son. Even, maybe that's counterintuitive. Or is it Seth? Or, or oh, like, he comes later. Oh, you're saying. But I I'm see. saying, like, as a reader, you're wondering, well, maybe oh, Cain. Oh, he's going to be the one. He, and God's going to do this weird, crazy thing where he's going to reverse Cain's yeah, evil. He, use the worst person in the story to do the best and possible thing. And he's going to come thing. out. But what you find, and you think maybe that works, because as you read down, you uh, Cain's descendants create music. Yeah, they're and, doing all, and bronze or something, like some kind of metal. And metal and, yeah. and agriculture, and they're <laughs> right. building cities. You're like, well, maybe. This is getting good. This is getting good. And, like, yeah. if this is written to people. In Egypt, they have they have a concept of cities and the good that cities can bring and the structure mm-hmm. that it can be. They're going into a promised land to build their own city. So, like maybe this is the person. Right. This is the this is our story. And then Lamech, one yep. of his descendants, comes and he starts boasting. Oh my gosh! About yes. how awful he is. Yeah. He, he's like, uh, you know, I killed a man just for wounding me. This guy <laughs> came up and he scratched my cheek, so I just murdered him. And then he takes God's words. Yep. If God will punish. Anybody who kills Cain seven times, I will punish as if I am God seven 70 times. Time. Seven or whatever. Uh, yeah, he said 70, 70 times. 77 fold. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, I'm 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 the baddest of them all. Like he, he's yeah, like, so yeah. it's like he's showing us numerically how escalated sin is at this point. Like, so we're like, oh, I guess Cain's not the one. And so like, because okay. things are getting worse under his line. Lamech seems the worst. Yeah. <laughs> and then what what do we know? And Adam knew his wife again. Mm. And she had a son called Seth, which is my which name. Which is your name. Which is my what name. What does Seth mean, Seth? God has appointed me. <laughs> <laughs> has he? <laughs> well, and he called his name Seth, for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. No, Seth, we're, we're supposed to see him. Jesus in this, not no, you. Oh, okay. that is my constant problem <laughs> when I read the Bible I think it's about me, <laughs> right? But it's about you're Jesus. the only one in the world who struggles with that, you know. <laughs> so right. again, what do we there's, see here? There's hope. There's hope, right? Another. So like we see, okay, the seed of the serpent comes from Cain, but there's this other man named Seth. Yes, maybe he will be the one, right? And this is where we come to chapter five. Yes, and chapter five feels crazy for us yeah or, or boring for or us. boring for us except for the fact that people are living for like a thousand years we're like whoa 912 Wait. years old dang and so when we come to so like just let's recap what's yep. happening the c- creation perfect world right god curses we sin god curses abel is trying abel and cain murdered the world gets worse lamech is even worse but maybe there's this hopeful flow within Seth and yeah. like he can bring about, and then we have this genealogy, yes, of all the ancient rulers and people of the world, right? From Seth's line, from Seth's line, right? So we, we saw we saw Cain's line, and mm-hmm. things got worse, yes. So if we believe the promise of God that he's going to have a seed of the serpent and a seed of the woman, and well, we know that Cain's must be the seed of the serpent because things are getting worse, yes. Well, then 
I guess things are going to get better with Seth. With and, Seth, and you think that male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them and they right. were created. This sounds like the beginning. And when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own image, in his own likeness. After his image, he named him Seth. So it sounds like, like creation again. It sounds like creation again. This is it. Are we rebuilding Eden? And everyone's living like a thousand years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is it. Right. And we pause here. Oh yeah. Oh. Why are we living a thousand years? Mm. Like as soon as I read this, I'm like. Uh, I, I don't know what to do with that. Right? Did people actually live that long? Mm. Is this what is this what it's intended to communicate that 815 years and 90 years and 910 years and 830 years? Right. What is? Why is everyone living so long? Well, you see, the atmosphere was different in that. <laughs> that's what that's I've heard that, I've answer, heard that answer too. <laughs> so I think this goes back to maybe a genre question. Oh yes. So um, one you could read as like, see, God's line. Mm-hmm. God's line is just, they're just supernatural. They're living a long they time. They will rule the world, and God's blessing with a, with long life. Yeah. I think something else is happening. Okay. So there, um, if you go back to the ancient Near Eastern literature, mm-hmm. and you read about the patriarchs of Sumerian culture mm-hmm. or Assyrian culture, what you'll actually find is lists just like this one of the patriarchs of that people group. Mm-hmm. And they're living for crazy amounts of years. Right. 10,000 years, 5,000 years, 7,000 years. These are the kings yep. who established the society whose line brought prosperity to the people, and they're deified. Like So in the ancient mindset, you're expecting actually something like this. There's actually this divine lineage mm-hmm. who just lives for thousands of years, and their reign and their rule brings peace and prosperity. Right. So when you read this, you actually have a category for right. this. I know what this is. This is the divine line. This is what we're expecting. Right. So this must be the seed of Eve. This must be the seed of right. Eve. So what's crazy is how short everybody lives. Oh. So everyone comes and is like, why is everybody living so long? I asked the wrong question. Because how long are they living in like the Sumerian literature? 10,000, oh 15,000, 8,000 years. So when an ancient mind comes to read this, they're not asking, well, why is everyone living so long? Like, this divine line sucks. Why is everyone <laughs> living so short? Yeah. This sounds like a cursed divine line. And then that's exactly the point. Mm-hmm. Because what do you read after every single line? And he died. And oh, he died. Man. And he died. No one's and living. And he forever. died. And he died. What is the drumbeat after the fall? Death. And he died. Yeah. And he died. Mm. And he died. Even the divine line is not wow. exempt from the curse. That's amazing. That's, is it? I mean, it, it's it's amazing <laughs> from like I've never heard that before, so I'm amazed from a literary <laughs> standpoint. But it's also amazing how depressing that is. <laughs> um, there's all this death, Seth. What there are we? Is. What are we gonna do? <laughs> And like the, the the some they get shorter too. Like the, oh right, like yeah, they do the get life. shorter. So it's like not only are they dying, these already small by comparison numbers are dwindling. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's where we end and we land on this man Noah, who we'll talk about next week, but um, we don't know who he who is lives yet. only five hundred years. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, at, no, at five hundred years, he fa- he oh, fathered people. Oh, he oh, lives yeah. longer than that. But um, and so like, what do we do with this? Um. I think one thing we should point out is um, there's this structure, this recurring structure that happens all throughout the book of Genesis, and it's the genealogies. This yeah, is yeah. the genealogy of, and that it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a very just common Hebrew term over and over again, and it's used 10 times here in Genesis. The genealogy of. The genealogy yeah, of. This yeah. is the genealogy of. The genealogy of. And, and the they, generations the of. The generations too. of, yeah, same yeah. thing. Um, and this is to show us a, a recap um, or a shift, or like a uh, section divider in the story, 
And uh, and so what we have is, why, like, why are these here? Why is it throughout the whole book of Genesis we're getting lists of descendants? Well, it's mm-hmm. because of the promise in Genesis 3.15. We right. are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for this divine line. This divine line. Where's this this seed of Eve who's so going to end all this death? It's not just conforming to ancient expectations of a no. divine line. It's actually within the story itself. We're waiting for a divine line. This yes. son of Eve right. who will crush the serpent. We're right. waiting for it. Right. Which with each with each one we should be going. Oh, and Seth, he lived 105 years, and he fathered a guy named Enosh, and he lived 807 years, and then Seth lived 912 years, and then he crushed the head of the serpent. Right. Oh, no, he died. Oh, he died. Next. And then Enosh. And then it just, again, heightened expectations, death. Heightened expectations, death. And as you do this, the mountain peaks that you're going up on, the heightened expectations get shorter and shorter and shorter because people aren't living longer. And then when you get to the end of Genesis 5, and Noah was 500 years old, and he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And no death. Oh, right. Is this the man? Right. Because is then this we're the... going to get a, a narrative is going to interrupt the story. Right. And we'll pick up on that narrative next week. But what I want us to to know is this this genealogy and that, that exact word for it when you put it into Greek is what we find when we turn our pages into our New Testament. And we see Matthew and we see Luke. And what do they begin with? So you just made so let me make I sure made a big I'm, jump. Yep. Let me make sure I'm following you. Yep. So... How do we see Jesus in this passage? Right. That's, that's where that's we're driving. That's the question I'm asking. Okay. And so we're like, death everywhere. Right. Death everywhere. We're waiting for a divine line. Yes. We're waiting for some sort of... Ge- There's all these genealogies all throughout the Bible, and they all end in death. We're still waiting for a divine line that gets us saved from the curse. Right. Out of death. And where is it? Right. And you're saying it's I'm in. saying that this is what Matthew and Luke are picking up on when they begin, this is the genealogy of Jesus. So they're like... You've been waiting for the divine line. That's right. And he goes back, and Matthew goes back to like Abraham, which is where we'll find out after Noah will come from this divine line of kings, Abraham, and he just picks that up. Luke goes all the way back to the garden, and he's like, this is the son of Adam and Eve that we've been waiting for. And he says, all this death, all this death, all this death, and then we get to the end of Matthew and Luke, and Jesus on a cross, and he died. And the drumbeat continues. Oh, no. (laughs) But then... He doesn't stay dead, right? He right. rises from the dead and crushes the head of the serpent. And right. like, and, and, oh, man, I didn't yeah. even think about that, like how that drum beat and oh, he man. died still continues with this Jesus yes. who we thought would be right. the, the best candidate so far, That's right. this perfect candidate, but he still dies. Right. And he was resurrected from the dead. Yeah. So why is it then, to end, Yeah. why is it that Jesus had to die in order to complete the genealogy, this hope for the genealogy. Mm. Like, why does he have to die in right. order to undo right. all the f- unmet expectations? Well, because God's not a liar. And God said, if you sin, you will bring a curse. And that curse is you will surely die. And God's not a liar. You will surely die. Those who bring sin to the world have the curse of death over their lives. And so God doesn't take that word back. He holds it true. But he's gracious, and so he holds it true in himself, that he would become flesh as the promised seed of Eve and bear the curse of death in himself yeah. so, that, so that he is not a liar. The curse right. of death has been expended, but on him, so that we might be spared to be brought back into the Garden of Eden. Have you seen the options between what God has already provided and what you could achieve by grabbing it for yourself and said, well, I want what I can get myself? Mm-hmm. And if you've answered yes to that at any point in your life, 
death is coming. Right. And you will die. Right. And you will die. And your son will die. And the drum and your daughter will continue. Will and if you want to escape that, somebody will still need to die because God's not a liar. Right. But Jesus will do it for you. Yes. In the same way that he rose from the dead, so will you. Yeah. It's such good news. Such, such good, news. good news. All right. Well, next week we will jump into uh, where we left off with uh, Noah. Ham, Shem, and Jepeth. Maybe these are the guys. Maybe the, one of them. Surely Maybe one, of, one them. of these guys will be the guys. <laughs> and we'll see. And we'll see. And it'll be so great. I mean, there is like a thousand pages after so maybe not <laughs> maybe not if you just look at the size of the bible it's a really long story the have story ever, like, of shim wa- have you ever <laughs> you ever like, watched a movie and like the main character oh, dies in the first five minutes and you like look at the netflix yeah. like you've got an hour left what's yeah. this movie about <laughs> it's like oh in psycho alfred hitchcock in psycho he oh, does that he yes. kills this kim novak right kim novak she was like this famous actress and she kill he kills her in the first five minutes like what's the rest of the movie i about? came here to see kim novak in this movie well anyway that was there we so, go that's, so that's the cliffhanger to get you to come and listen to the episode next week. Kim Novak is dead, but there's still an hour left of this movie. What's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel podcast. Spoken Gospel is a nonprofit dedicated to creating free gospel-centered media that speaks the gospel out of every corner of scripture. So to join us in our mission and view our resources, we invite you to visit SpokenGospel.com. Thank you.